Well, good morning. We are so glad that you are here today. Thank you for coming to Doorsville Baptist. A lot of incredible churches throughout Southern Illinois, but we are just glad that you came to worship with us today. And we're in week number two of a series that's going to run the week after Easter and called, it's called The Insanity of God. And you know, the last line of that song says, I would be crazy to choose uh, the world over him. And it is crazy. But you know what? This whole gospel thing is just so crazy. And that's why we called it the insanity of God. How crazy is it that a God, creator God, would love us so much that he became flesh, lived on this earth, and willingly died on a cross and then resurrected the third day? How crazy is that? How crazy is it that God would be so intimately involved? I I was talking to a friend this morning, a brother, before church, before Sunday school, and we were sharing together, and I was talking about how crazy it is that Creator God, the God that we believe is in charge of galaxies, not one galaxy, galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies, that God cared about Him. That that God was right in the middle of his life and every detail of his life. And guess what? That same God is right in the middle of your life and your details. And he is working something out that sometimes is, well, often bigger than we can imagine, but also sometimes more difficult than we can imagine. Well, in fact, last week we began, our whole series is based on John chapter 11 and the first week of chapter, or John chapter 12, the first few verses there. And each week we're looking at an overall Archie picture. Last week was explanation. In other words, that they, they God explained. He, he, he explained what was going on because often God does things that we don't understand. In this case, it was a, a friend named Lazarus. And the Bible clearly says that God, you know, Jesus loved Lazarus, he loved Mary, and he loved Martha. And yet, he, if you will, he allowed. He showed up late, it seemed like, and Lazarus died. And you kind of wonder, how could God do that? If God really loved Lazarus, why didn't he like intervene in that? And we all identified with that. We read Jacob's email last week about a young man who, who really loved God. And, and he prayed for other people and, and anointed them and laid hands on them and saw God work in their lives. But the one time, the one time he needed God, God said no. And it really shook his world. He goes, I don't understand. The one time I asked God for something for me, he didn't deliver. His sister was in a car accident. And he needed the bleeding to stop so the surgeons could do the surgery needed. And it didn't happen. And we left him totally devastated. And there are people today, you know people today, who are just devastated because of the journey they're on. It makes no sense. God, where were you when I needed you the most? And we learned last week, we don't have all the answers. It's certainly not easy or hard. Most of the time it's, it's way hard. But we learned last week that God's got a bigger picture in mind. And that suffering has purpose. And he has a purpose he's working out in your life. Which leads us into this week. And this week is declaration. It's where a person in those dark circumstances... The, the, the sister, Martha, the one who sent the message to Jesus and said, Jesus, the one you love, you remember Lazarus? The one you love is sick. And she watched him take his last breath and die. And when Jesus shows up four days later, 
It's the conversation, perhaps the greatest conversation in the Word of God that she has with the Son of God. And she declares her faith in Him. And that's exactly what happened to Ashley. Ashley, in case you don't remember, is Jacob's sister, the one who died tragically in the car wreck. Something happened in Ashley's life that radically changed what happened just five months later. I'd like for you to hear her own words. Another email. This time, it's about five months again. It's written sometime in January, so it's about five months before she dies. And this is her story written to Louis Gigolo. It goes like this. Hi. I feel kind of weird writing this email, and I doubt if Mr. Louis Gigolo will ever get it. I am a senior at the University of Florida. I got a new roommate this semester, and she is a Christian. And I have never really been to that whole Christian thing because every pastor or speaker that I've ever listened to didn't speak in a language I could understand. I believed in God and Jesus, but never really understood it because the preachers at the church that have always been forced to go every Sunday of my life. They speak all high and mighty, and I never really felt connected. I felt like God was only for the perfect people. Can anyone identify with that? Well, my roommate went to this passion conference over winter break, and she came back and moved into my apartment, and she was real and genuine about her Christian stuff, like I had never seen it before in a person. She said that God changed her at this conference. So I was like, what are you talking about? And she told me. She told me how God was cool and how God really wanted a deeper relationship with her. And she wanted to really love God the way he loved her. So, of course, I was like, huh? She then said, you need to listen to Louie talk about God. So I asked who Louie was. And she put on the indescribable talk. And then we watched the passport talk. And in the passport talk, you said that Christians do not have to just hope for the best at the end. That they do not have to do enough good stuff. You explained how to get to heaven in a simple way. In a way that I never heard before. I actually got it. I got it that it is not about being so good. Because I am not a good person. I have screwed up a lot. But then you said grace and talked about how it was different than other religions. Because God is a loving and a kind God who wants to forgive me. My roommate then explained that he wants to forgive me. Now for one of the reasons I am thanking you for, one, I am now a Christian. And two, my roommate said that she had never really cared about telling others about how much God loved her before she went to this conference. So though I am not sure who will ever read this, please tell Louis thanks for me for talking about Christ in a way that a college kid can understand. I know that Jesus has changed my life. As I get ready to graduate college in May, may I read that again? As I get ready to graduate college in May, I am going to be a different person. I am sorry this is kind of rambling, I just had to tell you that I now know about the grace of God. And I have life for the first time in my 22 years. Ashley. That graduation never happened. 
About three days before the ceremony, she was killed in a car accident. But her declaration of faith changed everything. And that's what I want to share with you today. That when we declare our faith, when we state what we believe about Christ and actually do that, it changes everything. We were studying a story, and you've heard just enough of the story from the beginning, that Lazarus was a friend of Jesus and he dies. And so Jesus waits two more days and then travels to see the family. And it seems like he is way late. But God is working out a plan that is bigger than they could see. Just like God is working out a plan bigger than we can see in our lives. In John chapter 11 and verse number 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. When Jesus finally shows up, he found out that Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Now, I hope to spend the first few minutes, and we have got to stay moving. If I look like I'm lollygagging, you let me know. Wave at me or something. But, but when, when, we, when Jesus arrives, we see that God is orchestrating something so much bigger than Mary, Martha, and Lazarus could ever figure out. And it all ties in to what we celebrate this week. You see, again, I mentioned it briefly last week. Here's kind of how it plays out. Lazarus was sick. They sat by his bedside and they watched as he breathed his last breath. But Jews believe something. Jews believe that generally up until about the third day, certainly the fourth day was out of bounds, but, but up until at least the third day or part of the third day, there's at least hope that if there was a coma or something that the person would wake up. They believed in a superstition that said the spirit would linger around the body trying to find a way back into the body so the person could come back to life. So that first day when Lazarus finally gasped for his last breath, in their minds, there was hope. So they took him because, again, there was no reached funeral chapel. There was no really embalming. So they immediately they began preparing the body for burial. And they took the body, and they would, they would arrange the grave, but they would take the body, and they, they would lay it out, and they'd do two things. One, they would put on a white gown. Ironically... That gown was called the traveling dress. How interesting. All dressed up and no place to go. Unless, of course, Jesus comes along. But not only that, they, took, they did something. And, and just like God shouted at me this morning, if you believe God speaks. I was studying. And, and they take this very expensive embalming spices. And they would place the body and, and the spices in and around the body, in between the legs, under the arms. And the whole purpose of the spices was to overcome, overpower the stench of death. You see, the spices had no power to bring the person back to life, but they could mask the stench of death. It's like God shouted at me. And he said, that is what people do with religion. They, they try to come up with something that will mask the stench of death. It can do nothing about it. But in their minds, at least they don't smell the death. Listen, 
Religion can do nothing about something that's dead. Only the resurrector can do something about things that are dead. So they would, they would mask the stench of death with all these perfumes. The same day, there would be a procession and led, by, led by the women usually, and then the body, and then the men would follow. And they went to the grave, and they put Lazarus in the grave. But there was still hope in their mind, in their superstition. There was some kind of hope that just maybe the person would come back to life. Perhaps it was a coma, and he would come back to life. The clock was ticking. They finished out the first day. They waited the entire second day, and the clock is ticking. Hope is fading. Hope is disappearing. They wake up the third day, and by the third day, it is sunset in the arena of hope. There's not much hope. As the day progressed, and the day progressed, and the day progressed, finally hope fades. And by the fourth day, there is no hope. Lazarus is dead. I remind you that even if Jesus shows up, even if Jesus shows up, when he raised the widow's son of Nain, it was, they, it was the first day. They were having the funeral. They were, they, they were marching day one. To, there was hope. In their minds, there was hope. When he raised Jairus' daughter, there was hope. But no one's ever been raised from the dead on day four. The finality of death was there. Death was present, and God wasn't. Ever been there? It seems so hopeless. What's so interesting is that when Jesus shows up in four days, as we see this unfold today, he has a greater hope than anyone can imagine. The Bible says, and I really want you to get this in verse 18 and 19. Let me read those together. Bethany was near Jerusalem. In fact, um, John even tells us about two miles away. About two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. You see, when Lazarus died, first off, it was a personal loss. You know, we, I received a call last night, or a text last night, that a brother had died. Losing a sibling is a difficult thing. And Lazarus was gone. And two sisters, Martha and Mary, were left to grieve. But you see, Lazarus would have been the, soul, the, the wage earner in the family. So not only did Mary and Martha lose a brother, they lost their security. They lost the one person who brought some kind of security into their lives. And in these two verses, we see so much about the sovereignty of God. And again, we're privy to look back 2,000 years. And often in your circumstance and in your circumstance, we're not privy to all this information. But one day we will. But in this case, we hear that Bethany was near Jerusalem. Not, 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 not days away. Not days away. Hours away. And as you know... Jerusalem is the hotbed of all what's fixing to happen in Jesus' life. How many of you have heard the term Passion Week? Raise your hands. Passion Week? Yeah. Passion Week is a description of what happened the week that Jesus died. There's about three or four events. Uh, it begins with what we celebrate today. Some of you are carrying palms today. It starts with Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is when Jesus walks in, ride, actually rides in on a colt, on a donkey, into Jerusalem. 
And there's a break about three days, four days, and then it all starts on Maudie Thursday when there's the Last Supper, when, when Judas betrays Jesus, when Jesus goes to the garden and prays those sweat drops of blood. He's arrested in the garden, taken before Pilate early Friday morning. A mock trial was given. He was nailed to a Roman cross. About 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he dies. That's all called the Passion of the Christ. They take him down off the cross and they put him in a tomb. It was Friday, but Sunday was coming. And Sunday is what changes everything. But all of that is Passion Week. Well, this whole event happens right before Passion Week. Actually, the first event really is just days away. And why that's important, why are you taking the time to explain that? Because I want to show you how the death of Lazarus was more than just the death of Lazarus. Now, if you'll notice that Bethany is so close to Jerusalem, and the Bible says many of the Jews, not a few, apparently Lazarus was a very well-known individual. In fact, this family was well-known because Jews came not only from Bethany, but many Jews came from Jerusalem. And apparently religious leaders came from Jerusalem. They came to mourn the death of Lazarus. Many of them came to mourn. And the crazy part is, is as we work through this process of, of Mar Martha's conversation and Mary's conversation and the ultimate what we celebrate next week, many people, the Bible clearly says, let, let me read this to you. This is John chapter 12, so right after what we're going to celebrate in a few weeks. Meanwhile, the crowd which had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. So there were people in Jerusalem, as we're fixing to celebrate Palm Sunday today, and as they were going to celebrate Palm Sunday, as it's going to be initiated, there were many people who had been there when Lazarus was, was raised from the dead. And they just couldn't keep quiet about it. They were going all through Jerusalem. Did you hear what Jesus did? Did you hear what Jesus did? Not to some unknown man, but to a prominent citizen. Did you hear what Jesus did? And the Bible says, this is also why the crowd met him. Because they heard he had done this sign. Do you know how to gather a crowd? You know how to gather a crowd? You know how you, you, know how you orchestrate a Palm Sunday? Do you know how you get people to, to gather as Jesus walks in or rides in on a colt going, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise be to God, son of David? You have that guy raise somebody from the dead. And Palm Sunday was the beginning of Passion Week. God is orchestrating the passion of his son and it all begins at a funeral and a resurrection in Bethany. Isn't that pretty incredible? So for the first time, we have a prominent citizen raised from the dead and Jesus used it in dramatic fashion. So then we move down to verse number 20. So as, as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she, she heard that he was coming, she went to meet him but Mary remains seated in the house. This is, these are, I just feel led to give these little tidbits. As soon as Martha, how many of you ever heard of Martha before in the Bible? Martha was the one that invited Jesus over for dinner and got mad at Mary because Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha was in cooking and she's banging pots around going, I can't believe that sorry sister of mine that's not here. She was mistyped a personality. Let's get it done. And Mary was type B personality. She, she thought. She pondered. 
she sat at the feet of Jesus. And by the way, it's, it's amazing. You're going to see how Martha, Jesus handles Martha with her type A personality in one way and handles Mary with her type B personality in another different way. It's just amazing how God... And by the way, can I look at you? Look, look, look. God knows you. And he doesn't, he doesn't have a generic way of handling people that God works in your life because he knows how you're made. He knows how you're wired. It's incredible to have a God who loves us that much. Amen? Just powerful. So Martha and her type A personality leaves Mary sitting in the house. What's she doing sitting in the house? Well, at a Jewish funeral, the bereaved, they would move all the furniture out of the big room. And the bereaving would sit there. And people would bring in little stools or benches, and they would sit there and groan and weep with the bereaved. They would total silence. And finally, someone would sob, and the crowd would begin to sob. Now, imagine 105 degrees. Imagine virtually no windows. Imagine the room packed with people mourning. And that was the sense that Mary had sitting in that room. How final. And Martha gets up and goes to Jesus when she hears that he is near. And look what she says. Verse 21, then Martha said to Jesus, now listen carefully, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not, would not have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Let me read that again because it's just so significant. Then Martha said to, the, to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Yet even now I know. That whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. We've all uttered words like that in, this, in the silence of our heart. Probably We probably wouldn't say anyone because we'd be embarrassed. But this, this, this phrase is pregnant with meaning. You know, first off, there's regret. There's regret. The bottom line is she's right. If Jesus would have happened to have been in the area when Jesus died, it probably could have had a whole different ending anyway. The bottom line, she regretted the fact that Jesus' schedule just did not have him in the area. It just worked out. She didn't understand the sovereignty of God yet. She's working on it, but she's not discovered it. If only Jesus had been here. There was regret because of that. And there actually was a little bit of a, of a reproach. You all can read that. Now, now understand... You've said, you've said these prayers before. You know, God, if you, God, if you, God, if you. And there is some of that there. Not much, but there's some there. Jesus, if you had been here, why didn't you show up? Why weren't you here? Why didn't you do it? And we've all had those feelings with God. But don't miss the most important thing is faith. She believed, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. It's a great statement of her faith in Jesus Christ. She may have had regret. She may have had reproach. But she, listen, the woman who was banging the pans in the kitchen also was a woman of great faith. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, 
Even now, I believe I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And our first thought is, oh, well, see there? She's, she's suspecting that even though it's been four days, that Jesus is going to do something. No, she's not. If she is, she doesn't really mean it. Well, Dwayne, how do you know that? Well, because in just a few minutes, when Jesus says your brother will rise again, she goes, I know he will in the last day. Later on, verse 39, when Jesus says, roll the stone away, but Lord, he stinks by now. Those are not the words of a woman who believes there's going to be an instant resurrection. See, Martha had a problem we have. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Many of us know the right words. We just have a hard time living it out. Most of us know the right scriptures. We just have a hard time. Words and life are not easy partners. It's very easy. I was sharing with that same brother. It's easy for me to talk about the sovereignty of God and how God's working out a big plan because my body doesn't hurt. My brother didn't just die. I'm not waiting for my father to die in the nursing home this morning. I'm not waiting in Springfield for my mother to die. It's very easy for us when our life is good to say, yeah, but here's a verse. And sometimes verses aren't enough. I just want to tell you this. Be careful. Be aware. Be alert that it's not enough to believe the words. You have to live the words out. Martha did not make that connection. For whatever reason, it didn't connect. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't die. But even now, never in her wildest dreams did she think that now really meant now. It may have been an affirmation of Jesus, her faith in Jesus and, and his relationship with the Father. But nowhere do we see on Martha's radar that the four-day-old Lazarus is going to get up. We've got to learn to connect what we say we believe about the Bible when we act it out in our lives. And that leads Jesus to say something. He says, your brother will rise. And I think it's interesting. Every commentary I studied made a point. The word again is not. I love it how we, we say, you know, we need to believe the word of God. And, and they want to stick things. The word again is not in the Greek. Every commentary said the word again is not there. The word again is not in the Greek. The word again is not in the Greek. Jesus just said, your brother's going to rise. And, and Martha says, I know, verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. She had this general belief in, in the sweet by and by and the pie in the sky. Somewhere her brother was going to resurrect. That's what the Pharisees believed. And she said, with those, I believe that. You know, it's kind of like Fightful in the old movie. Somewhere out there. So, somewhere out there. Yeah, I know, Jesus. But the amazing part is, Jesus knew something she didn't know. Because the resurrector is never bound by time. The resurrector is never bound by superstition. The resurrector is never bound by our expectations or circumstances. When Jesus said, your brother will rise again, he was specifically speaking not about the grand resurrection in the end, right here and right now. She just didn't get it. And we've got to be careful to balance that out. We got to, listen, we've got to be careful that we don't limit God. I Listen, I don't, I, I pray, that my brother who I spoke with, they never realized how much he's going to be messaging the message without a name. But I don't know how God is going to work out in his life. But I know this, 
he believes and I believe that God can. Come on now. Come on. Say amen. Listen. It's time for that little thing. There's a saying on our wall that really has got to be changed. Because it says, faith is not believing that God can, but that he will. That is so wrong. Faith is believing that God will, not that he can. I'm telling you, God has the ability to do anything. But sometimes in his will, it doesn't line up with what we want and what we believe. Faith is not believing that God will, but that He can. That's true. I think I got it backwards a minute ago. That's true. Faith is believing that God can. Your brother will rise again. Yes, I know. I know He will in the last day. And then Jesus gives us that most powerful, most wonderful truth. I hope you'll write it down if you've not memorized it, that you will. Because Jesus says to this grieving sister at this time in her life and says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. Do you believe this? Now this is so important. When Jesus said, I am, if you're a little bit of a Bible scholar, you know the significance of that. I believe it's seven times he says, I am. And why that is so important is found way back in the book of Exodus chapter 3. Let me read it to you. Moses is being commissioned by God to go deliver the people out of Egypt. And here he says this. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And when Jesus said, I am, he said, I'm God. See, only God can change certain things. I can change cars tomorrow. I'll go see Charlie at Farmers and, and he'll look at my credit card and say, Dwayne, you're worth about 2000 so go find a $2,000 car. Well, <laughs> not a lot of faith there. <laughs> You know, there's something I can, but listen, there are things that only God can do something about. And death is one of those. Only God can do something about that. He, he said, Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 46, listen to what he says. Your father Abraham was overjoyed that he would see my day, Jesus speaking, my day. He saw it and rejoiced. And the Jews replied, you aren't 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, I assure you, before Abraham was, I am. So get the power of that. When Jesus said, I am the resurrection, he's saying, I am God. And because I'm God, I've got power over death. Because I am God, I can give life where there is no life. How powerful is that? Now, now in this skeptical world in which we live, I know you're saying, yeah, Dwayne, that's just feel good baloney. Friend, check it out. This Once again, how long does this book have to be around, unchanged, unrevised, for us to realize it is the Word of God? We have to quit believing the lies that your professors are shooting you, your teachers in school are shooting you. We're going to quit believing the lies of the media and start believing the Word of God. In a, day, in a time and a day when it's so hopeless, in a time and a day when it's so dark, we're going to finally say, this isn't working, perhaps I'll try the light. And the light is Jesus Christ. When are we going to? Call me old-fashioned. 
Maybe call me a realist. See, the person with no faith is not the realist. They're blind. The realist is the guy who looks at this world and goes, didn't come from a glob of jelly. I look at babies and say, didn't come from a glob of jelly. I, I see how scientists can predict the sunrise 500 years from today, the exact time of sunrise, and I tell you, it was no accident. When I see how daffodils spring up when the earth reaches a certain temperature, that they spring up, and every year it happens, time after time after time, the daffodils put their yellow faces to the sky. I'm telling you, there's a God. And maybe, just maybe, it's time to dare to believe what's easier to believe than the baloney we're being fed. I'm all for a bologna and cheese sandwich. Just don't put it in your theology. I am the resurrection. Now, now watch what I do. Look at verses 25 and 26 and look what I do. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. The one who believes in me, if he dies, will live. See, there are two levels there. He talks about being the life. And he talks about being the resurrection. I am the resurrection and he who believes in me, if he dies, will live. Because of Christ, the end doesn't have to be the end. Now, I'm thinking about it. in these 70, 80, 85, 90 years that we have on this earth, Jesus may or may not choose to make it right here. But look at me. He makes it right there. That is not wishful thinking. When he says, I am the resurrection, even if a person dies, there's a chance. We'll be at the funeral home sometime in the next week. And even if that person dies, he will be made alive again. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Spirit, his spirit, his soul and spirit goes to be with Christ immediately. But even the body, even the body that fails and breaks down, sometimes at 50 years and sometimes at 90 years, but even the body that breaks down will be resurrected. Do you want to know how and why? Because Christ is God. And he overcame death. He defeated death. He is the resurrection. But then he goes this. He says, I am the life. In other words, he says this. Verse 26. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Ever. So as the resurrection, he's saying, if you're, listen, not if. When your physical body dies, if you'll believe in me... I can take care of that because I'm the resurrector. I've got, oh, listen, I've got to read this. Listen, listen. Therefore, my Father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. Woo! The resurrector! The resurrector! Now that's why, listen, if you ever wonder why we've got to do missions, if you wonder why we've got to be active in Harrisburg, if you ever wonder why we've got to feed people and clothe people and, and those kind of things, because if you love God and love people, when you love God, you love people, and when you love people physically and in a way that's unconditional, they want to know what causes that. And what causes that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. They do not, they're not impressed with our building. They're not impressed with the crowds. They're not impressed with our ability to keep rules. But they will be impressed by our love. By our love. 
It's so powerful. The reason why we got to get the word out is because it's the word. It's the hope that dead people can come back to life. And then, and then, and then not only that, that as we believe in him, we live. Like Ashley said, she's alive for the first time in her 22 years. When Jesus said, I am the one, excuse me, when he said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy in John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Now, for us, that may not be as significant. But, but, for, the, but for the person struggling to find next, the next day's meal in Africa or, or facing arrest, if it's known that they're a believer, that they face years in prison, that's important. If you're facing the death of your loved one, or perhaps you yourself is facing death, knowing that he's the resurrection of life is a game changer. It changes everything. And whether he chooses to act here or whether he definitely acts there, the end result is this. When you trust and put your faith in Jesus Christ, believing he is the resurrection and the life, experiencing God's grace, turning from your sin, I am telling you that a zillion years from today, you'll still be thinking the resurrection and life. You'll still be thanking Jesus Christ for what happened 2,000 years ago and what we call passion. That's why we're having, Brother David, is why we're having Palm Sunday worship event. Because we have something worth worshiping. And that is Jesus Christ. Well, if I was lollygagging, that was pretty good lollygagging. He asked that question. Do you believe this? That is the keystone question of life. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that? And even with all her doubt and not understanding, not having answers to all the questions, Martha goes, Yes, Lord, I believe. I believe you are the Messiah. That is, you are the promised one. I believe you are the Son of God. That is, I believe you are deity. You are God in the flesh. And I believe you are, you are the one who comes into this world. You are the promised fulfiller. I believe that you are the one who was promised by the word of God. I believe you are God. And I believe you're the fulfillment of the promises of God. Do you believe? This is what I believe. And my question today is, in spite of the darkness of your world right now, in spite of the possibility of the darkness of your world tomorrow, are you willing to anchor your eternal soul in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Are, are you willing to anchor your eternal soul in faith from the man who died on the Roman cross that you could have forgiveness of sins? Are you willing to refuse to believe the deniable because of the undeniable? Are you willing to sacrifice all those questions you don't have answers to for the one question you do have an answer to? I believe.
It's not about church. It's not about something that can mask the stench of death. It's not about our ability to keep rules because we can't do it. It's about God in his insanity sending his son Jesus Christ to become flesh and willingly die on a Roman cross. Dying so he could take it up again. Let me say it again. Dying so he could take it up again. If there was no death, there was no resurrection. If there was no death, there was no resurrection. And can I tell you one more truth I share with my brother and then I'm done? I said, bro, I said, I'm looking forward to today to hear the stories that when you had the opportunity to sit down and share with someone how Jesus walked this valley with you. And how you can share and say, listen, here's the valley I went through and my God was faithful. And that can only be spoken by someone who walked the valley. I don't suppose I should write a book on childbirth because I've never done it. And I'm not intending to. There is a reason why God allowed ladies to have babies and not men because there will be no babies. We are whinies. Men don't do good with pain, most of us. So I won't be writing a book on childbirth because I've never had a baby. It's very difficult for me to counsel with you on things I've never walked through. You want to know about losing a daddy? I can talk to you about that. You want to talk about losing a mama? I can tell you. You want to know about exercising a little bit of faith and, and leaving a career of 12 years and jumping into a church that's going to pay you $12,000 a year? I can tell you a little bit about that. I can't tell you about cancer. I can't, I can't tell you about the longest in period of suffering. Both my parents, dad died in an instant and mom died in three days. I can't tell you what it's like to put your, your mom in the nursing home. I can't tell you that. But some can. And I'm trying to tell you that... If you're a believer in Christ, some of the times God lets us walk through valleys for the sole purpose of sharing that lesson with others. With others. Are you willing to trust God? And our lesson today, are you willing to believe God? And in spite of your circumstances, despite the difficulties, are you willing to believe God? I am the resurrection, and the life. Jesus said it, and in a few weeks from this point, actually two weeks from this point, he'll prove it by dying and resurrecting back to life. Amen. Let's pray together. If you're here today, In this crazy world we live in, where you openly hear people say that, that God's a myth, that the Bible is a bunch of legends put together, um, that the Bible is a book of stories that men have passed down from generation to generation to make us feel good about ourselves. 
in a time when God is put on trial, and because he doesn't do exactly what we think he ought to do, he's discredited. I reach out to you. I reach out to you today. First off, if you're feeling this really strange feeling like something's pulling you, pulling you to say yes to Jesus, I personally believe that's God. I believe, I believe God works in pulling people to himself. And my brother Brent will be standing down front here. And I don't have people bow their heads. It's not about embarrassing you. You see, we have some folks who've got some answers. And I bet you've got questions. And we can certainly talk about this after church. But we believe in giving opportunity for people to make a decision as part as in response to the truth that was taught. So if you're here today and you've never experienced this, you're Ashley before she met Jesus. We would love to have the opportunity to earn your trust and answer your questions. We won't have all the answers. But we can tell you what God's done in our lives and what the Word of God speaks to concerning how a person comes in relationship with God. We would love to do that. In just a moment, the team's going to sing for us. I'll have everybody bow their heads. and Brother Brent will be standing down front. And I want to give you that opportunity. I, I challenge you. I urge you. I urge you to come. Now, if you're here today and, and you've made that commitment, you are a Christ follower. You know that. There's that time in your life when you made that commitment to Jesus Christ. Also, I want to challenge you. Because nothing speaks stronger about faith than a man or a woman, a boy or girl or a child, who has walked through a difficult situation and have seen and trusted the faithfulness of God. That is a great witness. And I want to challenge us as we leave this place today. And you may want to come. You may be in a situation right now and you need to say, God, I need your help. And that's a prayer he loves. I need your help. I'm going through this situation and I need your help. And as people watch me, how I respond to pain or suffering or death, that they may see something so incredibly different, they desire the Jesus that I talk about. Maybe you're here today and you wrestle with knowing the verses but living it out. Maybe you need to surrender that to God today. Because that's not anything you can do either. You just got to surrender to God. Say, God, I need your help in believing and acting out that belief. Whatever decision, church membership, baptism, uh, recommitment, again, knowing Jesus, this is your time, a time of decision. God, I just want to thank you for the privilege of sharing truth today. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will speak to hearts right now and draw men and women to yourself. I pray for that, God. You are the one hope. You are the one hope. May the voices of discouragement and untruth be silenced tonight, today in the hearts and minds of people. And may they hear the sweet voice of God. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Now with your head bowed,